Thank you, Peter. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Paul, one of the campus pastors here at New Philly, Sydney, along with my beautiful wife, Jamie, who was leading us in prayer earlier. All right. Uh, I'm excited to preach for the third week in a row. It's my first time preaching three times in a row here at New Philly, Sydney. And uh, we've been going through a very brief series on uh, the first few chapters of Genesis. And Genesis is a book of beginnings. It's a book of origins. Uh, It answers a lot of the big questions of life. Huge questions like, where did we come from? Why are we here? Uh, What were we made for? Who made us? Or how did we come about? You know, all these things, these are... These are big, huge questions, and uh, even to go over the first like three chapters of Genesis, I wish I had more weeks, but uh, yeah, I've only had three weeks, and I meant to keep it kind of a brief series, and so today we're going to take a little broad brush strokes over to see, because you know the Bible, the Bible is not uh, just a collection of different stories that have a good moral to it, a good lesson. Right? It's not, the Bible is not Aesop's fables, where it's teaching us one nice lesson here, another nice, nice lesson there, how to live, how to be nice to people. It's not, that's not what the Bible is. Uh, the Bible is at least that. You know, it, it teaches how to live, but the Bible also is an overarching story. It's not just a lot of little stories, but it's one big story, and it explains where we come from, why we're here, and where we're headed. And so uh, we're going to look at some of those things today, a lot of big questions And I hope I can do justice uh, to the Bible's teaching on these things. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read the whole thing. Hallelujah. All right. I like to read a lot of the Bible. Because we're a church and we read the Bible. Okay, Genesis 1. It's the first book of the Bible. Reading from the ESV. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. 
And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you, got, you guys got that? Yeah? Yeah, all right, long chapter. A uh, very famous, famous story. I'm sure many of you are quite familiar uh, with this creation account. And so uh, today we're just going to look at creation. And we're going to look at God and how the universe came to be uh, and what he designed it for all in one little chapter. So, you know, if you've always had all these big quotes, what's the meaning of life? You know, where do we come from? You came to church on a good day. I'm going to answer all that from the Word of God. Um, so, you know, this is a, it's a beautiful story, Genesis 1. It's a beautiful narration. It's like, it's like a work of an artist, right? It's not a boring, it's, it's not just a scientific account just explaining, oh, how, you know, how many years did it take and how, and this and that scientific detail. It's, it's, it's the work, it's a story, right? It's a beautiful story. There's, there's rhythm, there's, Repetition, there was the first day, there was evening and there was morning. The second day, right, God saw that it was good. And so we see that this account is, is pretty beautiful uh, in itself. And so uh, just, you know, before I go into the main points of the sermon, I just, I just want to show that, you know, there, there are a lot of questions that we bring uh, to the Bible. 
questions that are good questions and questions that we're seeking answers for. But we first have to understand that the Bible comes to answer certain kind of questions and not other kind of questions mainly. Or what do I mean? Well, sometimes we come to the Genesis creation account and we're asking the question, how? How did all this happen? Okay. How, was it through evolution? You know, was it, you know, are the days of creation, are they 24 hours? How, how did all this happen? But you see, the Bible, uh, and especially this story, the Bible's not mainly trying to answer the how question. Right? Because we have other, you know, books and texts and things we can go to for that. But the Bible is more trying to answer the why question. Why are we here? Why did God create all things? Why did God create us? How, you know, like, what are we designed for? God, you see what the Bible is trying to do? And so, you, you know, the Bible does address scientific issues here and there, but that's not its main purpose, right? That's why it doesn't read like a science textbook. It's, it's a story that we see here in chapter 1, and it's a beautiful story. And so uh, I, do, I do think the Bible does teach a lot about the how questions as well, but I think sometimes if we get too consumed with only the how questions, then we miss the main point of what the Bible is trying to teach here. Okay, so uh, here and there I'll try to address those how questions, but mainly uh, we're going to be asking the why questions. And uh, this creation account is uh, very interesting because, you know, in our day today, a lot of people say, oh, all religions are the same. It's like, it's like one mountain. We're all trying to get to the top, and all the different religions are just different paths up to the same mountain, the same top. And what we see here in this creation account in the Bible is that that's not true. Actually, the God of the Bible, the, what, how the Bible explains what the cosmos, what the universe is about, is very different from all other religions, not only that exist today, but throughout history. Right? The Bible wasn't ris- written in our contemporary culture. It was written over th- you know, several hundred years, thousands of years ago. And even in the cultures back then, even against the cultures today, the Bible is very unique in what it explains about the creation account. And so, you guys ready to go through it? All right. This, I did a lot of studying for this. I pray that I can uh, do a good job. So, actually, why don't we pray? I need to pray for myself. Okay, uh, but I pray for you guys as well. Father, we thank you for your word, God, and all that you teach uh, out of your word. I pray that you would help me now to uh, be, do a faithful job, God, to present it, to handle your scriptures well. God. And I pray that you would, by your spirit, bring understanding, bring illumination, bring conviction, God, of yourself, your ways, your designs, Lord, and draw us to yourself the majesty and the glory of who you are and, and what you've created us for, God. Help us to see that vision, to be captured by it, God. And so, Lord, we pray for your anointing upon this word. Yeah, may it bear good fruit into the lives of everyone who's here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at three things. Okay, hopefully you're still with me. Three things. We're going to look at, first, what this passage teaches about God. Second, what this passage teaches about the creation. And third, what this passage teaches about man or humanity. Right? So God, the creation, and man. Pretty simple, right? See, you know, like God in creation, he orders things. He's like, 
he's like an artist. He's a, he's a beautiful artistic creator, and he puts things into order on the different days. And when I give you outlines, like three-point sermons, I'm being like God. You know, I'm, I'm putting things into order so you're not all confused. And, you know, in a way I am. You know, that's what it is, right? Uh, but there's a lot of stuff in here, but under those three headings, okay? God, the creation, and man. Okay, so first, uh, let's look at God. The, the Bible begins with the words, in the beginning, God. So the first point is, there is a God. Oh, the Bible teaches that there is a God. You guys are amazed right now um, about the insight that I'm, you know, dropping on y'all. But um, the Bible teaches there's a God. You see, uh, in, our, in our culture today, a lot of people don't believe in God anymore. We live, uh, you know, some people predict that, oh, our society is no longer going to believe in God. Okay, many people stop believing in God now. But the Bible teaches there is a God. He is one God in three persons. It's called the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see hints of that here. Right, Verse 2, it says, The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. When God creates man, He says, Let us make man in our image. I went over this a little bit last week, but that's most likely referring to God as three persons. Let us make man in our image. So we see that there is a God. And uh, the reason this is important uh, is because the times that we live in today. right? Uh, you see, Dostoevsky, how do you say his name? Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky, whatever. You know that Russian, you know, writer, right? He he wrote like Brothers Karamazov, all that good stuff. But anyways, he said, um, if there is no God, then everything is permitted. Because if there's no God, then there's no no law, uh, there's no morals, there's there's nothing that we can't do. Okay. And so, uh, if there's no God, then Everything is permitted. You know, a lot of people today, we don't, we don't want there to be a God. Because if there's a God, then that means, oh, we, we're going to, you know, the Bible says, because God, he brings us uh, into judgment on the day of judgment after this life is over, right? It is appointed for a man to die once, and then comes a judgment. And so if there is no God, there is no judgment, there is no rules, there is no law, I can do whatever I want. I can live freely, you know, I don't have to live this constrained life according to these rules, according to these laws. It's freedom. You know, and our, our generation, we love this idea of freedom. Man, you know, get off me. Man, let me do what I want, right? Let me live the way I want. Don't tell me how to. You live your life the way you live it. I'll live my life the way I want to live it, okay? We want freedom. But the Bible says, in the beginning, God. And a lot of people think, oh, man, that's so... That's so, man, that's so constricting. Right? Where, where's the freedom in that? You know, I don't want there to be a God. And, you know, prove to me there's a God. But, see, the Bible teaches, hey, there is a God. But if there is no God, anything is permissible. Everything is permitted. So you can't say that what any other person does is wrong. So if someone wants to murder someone else, it's permissible. It's, everything's permitted. If a ruler of a nation, if a, if, a, if a governor or a prime minister or whoever wants to commit a genocide for thousands and millions of people, like we've seen over and over again in the 20th century, you can't say that's wrong. Why? Because there's no God. Who are you to tell, you know, where, where, does, where does laws, where does morality come from if there is no God? Dostoevsky was right. 
if there is no God, then everything is permitted. And also, if there's no God, then there's no meaning in this world. Are you guys Shakespeare? It's easier to say than Dostoevsky, okay? But Shakespeare, uh, he wrote a very famous uh, story called Macbeth. I'm sure many of you are familiar. And there's a line that says this, where Macbeth says, Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. If there's no God, there's no meaning. Science has disproved God, some people say. We see, you know, we all came about through evolution. The earth came about 4.5 billion years ago. Or the universe was like 15 billion years ago. You know, all these theories. And the life of man and the life of humanity is but a blip on the map. It was just a small speck, just a dot. And, you know, pretty soon life is, as we know, it's going to be over. The sun's going to explode or whatever, right? It's it's not going to be habitable anymore for life. And there's no meaning. Uh, There's no meaning in life if there is no God. If if just, just the material creation is all that there is, then you, know, you might as well just live to have fun, just to make money, just to have pleasure temporarily uh, in this life because that's all there is right? if there is no God. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. And that's what our culture wants to tell us. And, you know, if, if this is true, then there's freedom in a sense of the word freedom. There's freedom in the sense of you can do what you want. You can live however you want. But you can't speak into other people's, you know, and what they do and say it's wrong. And also, there's no meaning. You live a few short decades if you have good health. Your life is over. We're all gone. That's it. But the Bible says that, no, there is a God. And there is meaning. You see, the Bible flies in the face of what our culture wants to teach us today. That there is meaning in life. There is more than just, you know, this short, you know, meaningless life that we go through. Just enjoying this little experience, that experience. We were created for so much more. Because there is a God. And you see, the Bible goes flies in the face of what our culture teaches us today, but it also flies in the face of other ancient cultures in which, you know, during which time the Bible was written, right? We have, you know, the Western religions of the past, the Greeks, the Romans, I'm dropping all this knowledge on you. This is how much I've been studying, right, uh, for this sermon, but uh, the Western religions of the past, the Greeks, the Romans, they, you know, they, and, you know, even the Babylonians and all these creation accounts that we see from uh, ancient literature, there, there is no one creator God who created all things. He's all-powerful. He's in control of everything. No, a lot of the uh, Western accounts, we see that uh, the, the creation came about through a, a big battle between different gods. Okay, and the gods went to battle, and one side won, and they defeated the other gods, and they used their, you know, their bodies that were dead to create, you know, to create this universe and now we're kind of living in that. But these gods are not in full control. Okay, so we live in, uh, in a universe and in a world where, you know, we, we're not safe. Right? We don't know what's going to happen. 
And the Bible goes against that too. The Bible says there's one God. And he's in control of everything. He speaks and it happens. Let there be light. Bam. There's light. Let there be waters divided up. It happens. This God is sovereign. That means he's powerful. You know, the, uh, it's pretty funny because uh, on, what is it, the fourth day, it says God created these great sea creatures. Uh, and in, in all of ancient literature, even in the Bible, these great sea creatures uh, were depictions of these, like, sea monsters that had really, they were evil and they had these great powers. And, you know, even in the Babylonian accounts, you see that even the gods don't have power over these evil forces. But it says God created the great sea creatures, and he said, just go play in that sea right there. It's like, you know, like you're like a rubber duck. Just, just play in the bathtub that I created for you right there. It's like God is in complete control. He is all-powerful. Nobody, nothing, no sea monster, no creature. Everything God has created, and he is in control. The heavens and the earth, they do as God tells it to do. And that's who God is. He is sovereign. He is mighty. He is powerful. He has, there may be rebels in his kingdom, but there are no rivals to his throne. This is the kind of God that the Bible describes. But that's not, that's not all there is about God, right? God is not just powerful, but he's also personal. You see, even the Eastern religions, right? they say, you know, religions like Buddhism, Hinduism, the, these Eastern religions uh, from, you know, from ancient times, they say, you know, the divine is just impersonal force, right? It's like just, you know, kind of in, in the atmosphere, in the world. You know, I'm generalizing a little bit, but, you know, it's not personal. This God is, this, these divine forces, they're not personal. But the Bible says God is very personal. He created man to have relationship with him. And this is a God who loves his people. He's not impersonal. He's not detached. He is intimately personal, concerned about our lives, about our deepest thoughts and feelings. He knows everything about us. This God is very personal. He is all-powerful. He is intimately personal. He's very involved in what's happening in this world and in our lives. Do you see how the Bible is different from all religions, past or present? Right? Any, every other account of how the heavens and the earth came to be and creation and why we're here, no, it's different because in the beginning, God. And the Bible says that we all know God. Some people try to deny him, we try to suppress this truth like a beach ball. We're trying to hold down, but that beach ball just keeps rising to the surface because we know that there's a God. Jean-Paul Sartre, he was an existentialist philosopher. He didn't believe in God, but this is what he said in his life. He said, that God does not exist, I cannot deny. That my whole being cries out for God, I cannot forget. In his mind, he believed there is no God. It cannot be possible. But in his heart, he knew, man, I, my whole being cries out for God. I want there to be a God. But my mind just can't make sense of it. And even people who 
deny God, they actually reveal that they know that there is a God. You know, some, you know in our day today, we, we're a generation that loves social justice. Right? I want to I live for a cause. I want to live for a cause of justice and you know, righteousness. And I want to do something good with my life. So even the kind of work that we do, we want to have meaning in what we do. We don't want to just work for a paycheck. In general, this is, this is how our generation likes to think. But what, what, is, what is a cause? Think about it. Right? If Darwin was right and life is about survival of the fittest, then those who are weak get eaten up by the strong, and that's how it ought to be. That's how it always was. But people who deny that there's a God, they they believe that hum- humans have dignity, that we have worth, we fight for justice, for these social causes. And yet they deny that there's a God. Well, how do you know that? Who, who, what sets humanity apart from every other creature in all of creation if there is no God? See, even as they work for justice, they're showing that they believe in God, even though with their mouths they deny that there is a God. You see, it's always coming to the surface. With their whole being, they cry out. They want to. They want. They want there to be a God. But because their minds are darkened and confused, they can't make sense of it. They deny it for one reason or another. But the Bible says there is one God, three persons. He is all powerful. He is personal. He created us to know Him. And he is ruling this life. There, so there's meaning. And we all know him. At one level or another. No matter how much we may try to deny it, We know this God. Because we were created for him. Right? And man, God, God, is, God is good at what he does. Okay? So let's, let's move on from, you know, we, first we talked about God. Right? There's a God. But let's talk about the creation. So, God is God is a good creator. God is pretty good at what He does. You know, He's He's a very He's artistic, right? If you look at creation, and if you go to you know you go to Watson's Bay or you go look at you know I don't know that many places in Sydney because I'm there, right? But you know, if you if you go to the Blue Mountains, if you look at the work of God's creation, if you look at the beautiful sunset, the skies, and the mountains and the clouds and all these things. If you appreciate these things, which you should because it's pretty beautiful, you're like, oh, man, that is, that is amazing. What I'm seeing in nature, this, this creation, this, this world, there's, there's glory in there. And the Bible says that's because God is a beautiful artist and a creator. Right? And, you know, God creates something he creates another thing and, he, and what is the what does genesis chapter one keep saying it says god saw that it was good you know god didn't make the mountains and the clouds and the sun and the moon and he's like oh oh snap oh, i messed that up oh man give me another day <laughs> you know like, he, god doesn't mess up right he's a perfect creator and he created it with beauty and with glory and he saw that it was good so that teaches us that the the creation is good there's goodness in the creation. Okay. Uh, a couple days ago was our five-year anniversary, me and uh, Pastor Jamie. All right, five years. It's a long time, but it's also a short time. But we celebrated yesterday, uh, and we went to 
uh, one of the uh, restaurants by the rocks, at the rocks. And we had a view of the opera house, and it was raining on and off, but there was like a rainbow behind the opera house, uh, you know, for a few minutes. And it was, it was beautiful, and I ordered a beef tenderloin, and man, that thing was good, right? The juices, the, the tenderness, the texture, the flavor, that was good. And then I had a glass of wine. Yeah, I had some wine, right? Jesus made wine, okay? And it said that wine was better than the wine they served before, so Jesus made good wine. I enjoyed the good wine and the good steak and the good view to the glory of God. Because God is good. He created cows with a, to be cooked with a certain flavor. And man, that is good. And I gave glory to God. So what we see in, no, seriously though, Genesis chapter 1 says the creation is good. There's goodness in the creation. Some, you know, some philosophies and religions in the past, right, like the Greek and the Romans, they said the physical, the material world is bad, but the spiritual is good. You see, the, the, the body is a prison house for the soul. So what you do in the flesh, what you do physically and with the material world, it doesn't matter because it's temporary. But the soul and the spiritual, that's eternal. So that's the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter, this, this created world. But the Bible goes against that. It says, this created world, it, it matters. When Jesus was risen from the dead, he had a body. He ate fish with his disciples. Right? He sat by a fire. And he... And, all of us, we're going to have resurrected bodies one day. There's, there's a physical world that God has created, and it is good. And so we can enjoy the good things that God has created. We don't have to be monks, you know, ascetics, kind of retreating from this world. When I was a young Christian, I wanted to be a monk. Well, not really, right? But, you know, like just the mentality that, oh, this, I just want to just be with God 24-7 all the time and just, you know, having fellowship with him in my spirit. No, that's important, too, because God created our spirits. Okay? But God also created the physical, material world. And so we can live in it, work in it, enjoy it to the glory of God. Amen? So that glass of wine, man, I don't even know much about wine, but that wine was good. Pastor Jamie ordered some blue-eyed cod. It wasn't as good as my steak. But it was still good. I still gave glory to God, right? Um, and so the creation is good. And you see, the, uh, when, when God started creation, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Before God speaks his word over something, it's without form and it's void. But once God's word enters into an area, there's, it's no longer without form. There's structure. There's order. God separates the light from the night, dark, darkness from light. He separates the waters from the waters. He creates structure and order, and it's no longer void. It's no longer empty, but God fills it with life, with good things. When anything comes under the Word of God, there's beauty, there's order, there's structure. That's what God does. That's the kind of creator God that He is. And so the creation was good. So against against the Greeks, 
You know, it's not like, oh, the material world is bad. But opposite of that kind of view is materialism that we see today, right? That the physical world is all there is. That's all there is to life. There's no spiritual. There's no, you know, there's no soul. It's just, you know, and so let's just enjoy the physical world. Let us eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow we die. Actually, that's in the Bible, okay? So, um, you know, if, if, if the physical world is all there is, then we live only for things like money, for things like sex, things like pleasure, you know, building big houses and bank accounts and all this stuff. And if you don't, right, if you don't believe in God, then, yeah, that's, that's all there is to live for. Well, the Bible says the creation is good, but it's not ultimate. Why? Because ultimate is God. God is behind all things. And so we don't want to worship the creation and live for the creation. We want to worship the creator who is forever praised, to whom belongs all glory and honor. Man, and so we, we see, man, this creation, it's good. God saw that it was good, but it's not God. You guys like that? I just came up with that. It's good, but it's not God. Okay, all right. You guys don't like it that much? All right, but. All right, so. You see how the Bible is different from every other religion, you know, past and present? What the Bible teaches in this, uh, in this chapter about creation. Okay. But, you know, here's the thing, right? Some people say, oh, but the Bible gets a lot of scientific facts wrong. So how can we believe the Bible? How can we trust the Bible, what it says? Because it's wrong. Right? The earth wasn't created in seven days. Well, here's the thing. You know, several hundred years ago, there's a verse, there's a verse in the Bible that says, the sun rose in the morning. And a few hundred years ago, people were like, actually, the, the sun doesn't rise. Because the sun is the center of the solar system. And the sun actually just stays there, and the earth rotates around the sun. So the Bible must be wrong because the sun doesn't rise. Actually, you're, you're misunderstanding the Bible. The, the Bible's not saying, you know, it's not speaking scientifically, the sun rises in the morning and sets in the evening. No, it's just speaking from the human perspective on the earth, that the sun looks like it's rising, right? So you don't say, oh, the Bible is wrong there, so we can't believe anything in the Bible. No, you've got to understand how the Bible's speaking, what, what it actually means. It's not trying to be scientific. It's just speaking from a human perspective. And people got that. And then said, oh, okay, oh, that's what the Bible's saying. And, you know, there's a lot of questions about this chapter that Christians and non-Christians also have. They say, oh, how could, you know, how could the sun and the moon not be there until the fourth day and yet there be light? You see, the sun and moon were created on day four or the fourth day. But how was how there light? You know, how can, you know, if there's evolution, which, by the way, is only a theory, and there's a lot of problems with the, with the theory, but I can't go into that, okay? Because we're not talking about the how question. But, you know, how does science match with Scripture, with the Bible? You know, some of these questions, maybe uh, we don't have all the full answers yet, but you still continue to believe the Bible and you also look at science, and as we l- learn more about science, then we can also see maybe my previous understanding of the Bible was wrong. Maybe the Bible's not saying that the sun actually rises, but maybe it's just speaking from a human perspective that took hundreds of years to actually figure out after science finally found out that the sun was 
the center of the solar system. You guys, you guys follow me, right? So the the more we learn, the more we learn, even through science, we can go back to the Bible and try to reinterpret, come to a better understanding, and yet still fully believe that this is the Word of God and it's true. I could spend a whole sermon just going through different questions uh, about this chapter, but I don't want to do that because. Uh, you know, the Bible is mainly for our building up of our faith and, and love. And intellectual questions are good, but you know, I just kind of wanted to give you that, that preface, that, that kind of perspective on how to look at it. You know what I'm saying? All right. Okay, and then uh, let's come to the third point. So we looked at God, we looked at creation, and finally we're going to look at man. So I, I love this point. You see, how many chapters does the Bible spend on the universe? One. How many chapters does it spend on God's relationship to man? The rest of the Bible. You see, all of the cosmos that some scientists say took billions of years to happen, that's only a very brief prologue. It's just the introduction. It's just setting the backdrop for what's really important. It's man and woman and our relationship with God. That's what life is about. But our secular culture today says, no, it's actually the other way around. Actually, billions of years, the universe, and then, boop, us. And then afterwards, billions of years. And we are not that important. Life doesn't matter. There's no meaning. But you see, the Bible talks about there's, there's meaning in life. That our lives matter. Our lives not only matter, they, our lives are what God created the universe for. We were the last thing to be created. Six days, God's just setting the background. He creates man and woman. Creation's done. To everything else, he says, let there be. Let the earth bring forth. Let. He creates man. He says, let us make man. Personal. Let us make man. In our image. After our likeness. See, we are, the creation of humanity was the climax of creation. It was what everything else was building up to. It's the crescendo and then it's man. And then follows hundreds of chapters in the Bible. Because God's relationship with humanity is what the universe is what history is about. All the billions of years or thousands of years, no matter how you look at it, how you interpret it, Whatever came before, it's just, it's just the background. Because you, you need a setting. But that's it. See, life is not just strutting and fretting his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It's not a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. No, life has significance and life has meaning. Because we were created as the climax of God's creation. The crowning glory. What everything else was leading up towards. 
And the Bible says we were created in the image of God. In other places, the Bible says we are the image of God. 1 Corinthians 7 says, no, 11, it says, Man is the glory and image of God. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty weighty. We're not just like all the other animals. We are the image and glory of God. So our lives have value. Our lives have worth. Our lives have meaning and significance. We're not just here just to eat and to drink and then we die. No, there's ultimate eternal meaning. There's so much at stake in our lives, how we live our lives, what we do with our lives, just even just who we are. There's so much dignity and value. That's why we can fight for human rights and for social justice because we are in the image of God. Now, what does that mean, image of God? You know, theologians have had many different perspectives on this. My take is that it just means, you know, a lot of the characteristics about God, we are, we are like him in so many ways. You can't just reduce it to, oh, we are thinking beings, or we have a personality, or this or that. No, it's, it's all these things together. We have a personality. We have rationality. We make choices. We have volition. All these things, right? But we are created differently, much higher than the animals. Of no other creature does it say, like in Genesis 2, God created the man and he breathed into him life. It's like God had a personal involvement with creating man. And so there's, there's a lot of meaning. And what we see from the creation account, I'm just going to quote from this commentator. His name is Derek Kidner. This is what God says to every generation of people. Stand here on this earth and in this present to get the meaning of the whole. See this world as my gift and charge to you with the sun, moon, and stars as its lamp and timekeepers and its creatures under your care. See the present age as a time to which my creative work was moving and the unconscious eons before it as but a few days. We're the reason why God created all things. That's, that's pretty glorious. That's pretty awesome. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind. And it is, in fact, the merriest kind. Okay, and it is in fact the merriest kind which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. There are no ordinary people. There's glory inside each and every one of us. And so, 
If you're, if you're depressed about, you know, if you're kind of looking down on yourself, you're the image of God. Do you understand what the Bible says about who you are? Of no other creature is it said that they are the image of God. You're the image of God. God created you for himself. Just think about that. Just meditate on that. Man, that's, that's amazing. Psalm chapter 8. It says, Lord, O Lord, when I look upon your heavens, the work of your hands, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man? In light of all this creation, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. That's what the Bible says. That God gave us dominion, authority over every bird, fish, animal, you know, over everything. God has given us dominion. Think about the kind of calling that God has given us. He said, he said, the Bible says God blessed them, and God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the whole earth. That means fill the whole earth and rule it. As the image of God, that means as God's image, right, we reflect him and we represent him. And so bring my image to all the earth and rule the earth on my behalf. That's a, that's a pretty high calling. We were created for some amazing things. And so if you're living your life just to make money, it's like, dude, do you know what you were created for? You think you were just created just to make money? You're the image and glory of God, and you were created to be his reflection and representation to the entire earth and to have dominion. You're not just created just to make money. That's so small. You know, what are you living for? How are you living? We are glorious creatures. I am glorious. I am the glory of God. Everybody say amen, <laughs> right? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I am, but, you know, I'm just kidding about that. Okay. Man, and, you know, you know our destiny. This, I'll, I'm going to read another quote from C.S. Lewis. This is he says, if we let him, if we let God, he will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a god or goddess, dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine, a bright stainless mirror that reflects back to God his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but that is what we are in for, nothing less. There's a glory that God made us for. There's a glorious purpose that we've been called to are you living like you believe that's true? Are you joyful? Are you calm and poised because you know that God is your God? He's sovereign. He has all things in your control, in his control. And he's personal. And he loves you. And he pursues you. And you get to live life with him, before him, and for him. As his image, 
to reflect and to represent Him to all the creation. This is what God is like. This is how He would rule. I'm telling you, there's, there's no other religion that is like this, that has this teaching. It's not, it's not all the same. We're not all, it's not all the same religion, all pointing to the same place, no. Right? The Bible is very unique. But you see, there's a problem. Is that Genesis 1 is not the end. Because right? only two chapters later in Genesis chapter 3, which you've been reading for a couple of re- couple of weeks uh, prior, it says Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, they sinned. They broke God's trust. They went against his will. They rebelled against the creator God. You see, Everything else in creation obeys God. Jesus speaks to the wind and the waves, be still. And they obey him. All of creation does what God wants it to do. Except one creature. Prideful, rebellious human beings. Who do we think we are? Even the, even the animals and the plants obey God better than we do. Right? No, seriously. That's a problem. Because God saw that it was good. God created the plants, the animals, the sun, moon, and stars. God saw that it was good. God creates man. Man sins. No longer good. God no longer says over us, it is good. Because we've gone against his will. We've gone against his commands. We have broken relationship with God. Why? Because of our sin. But good news, rest of the Bible, how God is redeeming them. We are the image of God. And even after humanity fell into sin, we are still the image of God. Right? Genesis 9, it says, man is still the image of God. And so if anyone murders someone else, you know, God will judge that person because man created, God created man in his image. So we're still the image, but the image is broken. It's like a mirror that's distorted. We're supposed to reflect what God is like. But now it's not a pretty good, it's not a good representation anymore. It's, it's distorted, it's twisted, it's broken. We no longer live out who God is, like his love and his peace and his goodness his kindness, his justice. No, instead we lie, we cheat, we steal, we hurt each other, we oppress, we worship other things. We have rebelled against God. And so, yeah, our lives in this, in this creation, it's, it's tough. There's pain. There's sorrow. But, There was one person. The Bible says he is the image of God. The perfect image. And he never failed. He perfectly obeyed God. Actually, he is God. His name is Jesus. He perfectly obeyed God. He never went against his will. Never went against his commands. You see, 
we disobeyed God, and so we ruined and marred the image, and we deserve the curse. We deserve punishment. Jesus, the true image of God, he perfectly obeyed. He should have gotten the blessing. God should have said over him, you are good. And indeed he did. When Jesus was baptized, before he entered his ministry, it says the the, uh, Holy Spirit came down like a dove upon him, and there was a voice from heaven. And it said, it was God the Father's voice, and he said, this is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. It is good. But you see, on the cross, for our sake, Jesus was destroyed. He was punished. He no longer looked like a person. He, he, his body was broken, marred, beaten, on the cross, bloody, mangled mess. And he became disfigured. He was punished in our place. He took our punishment. He lost his beauty. He who was the only image of God. So that you and I, who destroyed God's image, that we might be renewed. And through Jesus and the power of the Spirit, that we might become more like him. More like Christ. More like God. Reflecting him. Who he is. What he's like. And to represent him. And to live our lives as God would want us to. To represent him in this life. In this world. That image, our broken image, is being made new through Jesus. And so, you know, even though we lost it, even though it was ruined, there's redemption through Jesus. That when God said over us, it is not good. Man has sinned through Jesus. God now says, it is good. When he looks at you, he says, it is good. Because Jesus took our place. He took our punishment. He took our judgment. So that we might know the pleasure of God over us. And have that renewed, intimate, personal relationship. We can know him as the all-powerful God who works all things for our good so that no matter what we go through in life, we know that God is in control and he still loves us even when it's hard, even when we go through sorrow and toil and suffering, that God is for us, that he created us to know him and to worship him and to love him and to obey him and to belong to him and to live for him. That's the kind of life that we can live now before God. That's pretty awesome. Do you, do you see Genesis? Man, there's, there's so much in here. What it says about who we are, why we were created, why we're here, what are, what's at stake in our lives. These are huge questions. Right, there's a lot more the Bible says about these things. But there's no religion like this. Do we just go through this life and then are we just kind of you know, going to melt into the divine forces that are out there? You know, are we just trying to escape 
this material world because it's bad? Are we just living for here and now, temporary? I want to read that quote again by, by Macbeth. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. That's what our contemporary world wants you to believe. The Bible flies in the face of that and says, no, you were created for so much more. You were created for glory. And through Jesus, you can walk that out. Hallelujah. Amen? All right, let's pray.